We're delighted to be here, and um, like he said, 52 years together. And when I married him, I was young, and he was already pastoring a church, so I went right into ministry. There's never been a time in our life when we were not in ministry, and uh, my passion is teaching. I was a school teacher for 20 years. I taught 12th grade English, loved every minute of it. And that's a a testimony in itself. The Lord just worked with me for two years and told me to quit, to quit, to quit, and to teach for him. And I put it off, and I put it off, and I put it off. I said, Lord, I can retire in five years. He said, "Um, I'll give you a choice. You can retire with honor, or you can leave with dishonor. And that's how the Lord talked to me. And I left with five years to go before I could retire. And God had opened a whole new life for me. And I've loved the ministry uh, almost as long as I've loved my husband. And God has been good. Has everything always been perfect? No. I thought by marrying a preacher it would be. <laughs> but it's not. <laughs> and, you know, we have slings and arrows and storms just like everybody else. But uh, we're glad to be with you. This is the first time I've been to West Virginia. Now, Ron's been there several times, but this is my first trip. And coming across those mountains, either going up or coming down, and, uh, you know, you were always doing something. It was gorgeous Friday. The leaves and the sun, it was just beautiful country. And I could almost hear John Denver singing in the back of my mind. <laughs> it is almost heaven. I know you love it. We welcome those of you that are watching us online. Stay with us. Stay with us till the very end because I believe that God's going to show up tonight. And I want to give honor to Pastor Taylor and his wife, Sarah. We've had some time with them and got to know them better. And I hope you appreciate them. I hope you pray for them. And I hope you bless them real good. Because they are godly and anointed and are giving God their very best and they love you so much. And for our friends that are here, the Marians, the Wades, and the Cobes, we're glad that you have driven so far to be with us this brief time. Well, I want to pray before we get started. And I hope you have your Bible with you because I love the Word of God. I feel inadequate to ever stand up and teach the Word of God. But I have a teacher that teaches me, and it's the Holy Spirit of the living God, and I pray that tonight he will teach his word through me. It's not my teaching, but it's his revelation. So let's pray before we start. Father God, we thank you for every blessing from above. We thank you for the salvation we have through Jesus Christ. We thank you for the Holy Spirit of the living God that lives in us and wells in us and is a fire that is shut up in our bones. I thank you for the testimony of Jesus, Lord. I thank you that we are not afraid, for we have the helper with us, that no weapon formed of the enemy will harm us. That we will live till the last day, the last hour of God's will for our lives. So we are not afraid of the future. For our future is in you. And Lord, I thank you for your holy word. Oh my Lord, I thank you. It is so precious. It is true and we can trust it. And Lord, it delivers us and it saves us and it guides us. It gives us life. And it's a lamp to live by and it's our law. Lord, it's our music. It's our strength for living. And I pray, God, we would never take your word for granted. It's holy. And it teaches us how to live. How to live and how to die. And what's after that. So, we turn this service over to the Holy Spirit and ask you to guide us in all things. 
Open our hearts and open our minds and give us strong attention to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, Pastor Walker, or Evangelist Walker, last night said the worst thing about a church is that people leave the church over offenses. Remember when he said that last night? Well, it's true. And I want to start with that and build on that. Because when we get offended, whether it's by something slight or inconsequential or a rude remark or something our kids say or do or something our husband says or do, you might as well learn just to forgive your mate every day of your life. You all say amen because you have to forgive me too. I mean, it's ongoing. doesn't matter if it's two years or 52 years. Forgiveness is a way of life. And oftentimes we do just don't think about it. We forgive the guy that cuts us off on the street or we forgive some grumpy cashier somewhere. We forgive our boss, co-workers, people that don't like us. Believe it or not, there are people that don't like us and you either. And so we forgive and move on, don't we? But sometimes... In all of our lives, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I know it applies to every one of you and me. There comes a time in your life, maybe more than once, where you are just slammed almost to the ground by an offense. Almost takes your breath away. It stuns you. You don't know what to do when that offense comes. It's overwhelming. And yours is not the same as mine. There's probably as many offenses as there are people here. Whether it's through a divorce or something your parents have done or your parents' divorce or your, your husband abandons you or you're sick or whatever. There is an offense that you feel like, I can't deal with this. I'm not strong enough. Can I get a witness? All right. That has happened to me. And I'm ashamed to tell you I didn't handle it very well when it first happened. I'm I'm like you. I I want to get even. Retaliate. You give to me, I'm going to give it right back to you. Now, that's not like Jesus. No. I know it's not. But it's the sometimes it's the hardest fault battle of your life to deal with this. Now, I started out handling it by dumping on my friends. I just had to tell somebody because it would it just hurt so bad. But and when I told my friends, it eased up a little bit. You know, I could get around to get with it. And my friends were patient. They listened to me. They didn't lecture me. They didn't really tell me what to do. And neither did God. God gave me space and God gave me time to work through this because I was living in hurt. And so when when you're hurt, you hurt other people sometimes. You do. But I went to the book of Psalms, and that was a sin. I said it right. I looked in the book of Psalms, and I found every psalm that David prayed against his enemies. And I said, go get them, Lord. David said, go get them. David said, I was wounded in the house of my friend. David said... And so he let me stew a minute. But then I knew that that was wrong. That was sin. And I had to confess that. And the Holy Spirit responded to me during that time I was wading through the Psalms and trying to find what I wanted. And the Holy Spirit said to me, said, I want to remind you 
that I love the person that offended you as much as I love you. And I don't take sides. And that was the beginning of my healing. And I wish I could tell you I was healed in a week, but I wasn't. (laughs) It was quite a while before I was totally healed in this. But had I lived in unforgiveness, I would have lived a miserable life. Because I was miserable in that season. And if I had entertained forgiveness for any length of time, it would manifest in my life in so many different ways. Like hate, like revenge, retaliation, thoughts of murder. I could kill that person. And you've said it whether you mean it or not a time or two. I'm sure you have. Violence or abuse, hardness of heart, slander, gossip, passive-aggressive behavior. The list goes on and on and on. The longer you live in it, the worse it gets. It comes out your personality as well as other parts of you. Your, your moods, your sleep, all of things are affected when you live in unforgiveness. But sometimes the, this healing... Forgiveness comes in stages just like when you go through stages of grief. You can't just forgive all at once. Most of, a lot of times you can, but not for the really, really big things. It's not an easy path to forgiveness. Victory comes slowly because we're stubborn. And we have pride and we don't want to humble ourselves before other people. That's true. That's the truth. And I know you're sitting there saying, who do you think you are? You don't know me. (laughs) You don't know what I have been through. And if you knew me, you know there are some things I won't forgive. And there are some things I can't forgive. But I'm here to tell you, there is nothing in your life that you cannot forgive with the help of the Holy Spirit. Nothing. And there's a difference between can't and won't. That's right. Forgiving is difficult, but it can be done. I'm going to give you an example. And you can look it up. It's true. October 2nd, 2006, in a one-room schoolhouse in Bart Township, Lancaster County, Pennsylvania, a man named Carl Roberts the Fourth, not an old man, young man, walked into that one-room schoolhouse that morning, shooting at everything and everybody there. That morning, he killed five little girls. And he handicapped, paralyzed, and made paraplegics of the other five. So basically, he took away ten lives. He did. Then he turned the gun on himself and killed himself. Most of the little girls were shot in the back of the head, execution style. How many of you have little girls as children or grandchildren? You can't help but think, what if I had been there and it had been my child? The coroner said he found 12 bullets in one little girl's body alone that day. It was an Amish community. Peace-loving, God-fearing, moral, good people who would never imagine anybody killing an innocent child. And nor would you and I. What would you have done had been your daughter? How would you have felt it if it had been your niece or your sister or someone in your family? 
And I'm telling you this true story in the newspaper. I'm telling you this to ask you, do you have any circumstances in your life worse than this that would call for forgiveness? I think not. I think not. I don't think there's anything any worse than death, murder of the people nearest you. Well, I want to talk about a serious subject tonight called dealing with unforgiveness. And I think the Bible is holy and precious and it's the Word of God. And we're going to unfold the Scripture and find out what it says. So you might want to write down a couple of Scriptures as we get through or uh, a couple of things as we go through the Word of God. What does the Word of God say about it? First of all, I want you to know that God forgives any and all who repent of their sins. And to repent is to change. I am sorry, God, for what I've done. I don't want to do it anymore. I want to live a different life. I want you to come into me and save me, forgive my sin, and let me live a life as your child and your disciple. And I will put you first. That's what a Christian does. God is first, foremost, and the Word is our basis of how to live. It's not whether we love it or like it or disagree with it. We live by the Word. It is true. We don't argue with the Word. It's God's love letter to us. Well, the passage is 2 Kings 21, verses 1 through 16. I'm going to tell you about it, read it at home. One verse I'll read in just a few minutes. But to tell you, Hezekiah was king of Judah. Hezekiah was a good king. That's all I'm going to say about that. He did good things. He brought revival to the, to the nation of Judah. But when it came time for him to die, he was sick unto death. And his friend and prophet Isaiah came to the palace and said, Isaiah, God told me to come here and to tell you get your affairs in order for you're about to die. He was already sick. Hezekiah turned his face to the wall, wept, cried, screamed, whatever he did, prayed, and asked God to spare his life. Before Isaiah could get out of the palace, God said, turn around, go back, tell him I have heard his prayer and I'm giving him 15 years to his life. God's good, isn't he? Three years into that 15 years, Hezekiah, his wife Hephzibah, had a son and his name was Manasseh. Don't get it mixed up. There are two Manassehs in the Old Testament. Joseph had two sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, in Egypt. Remember Joseph, this is not that Manasseh, far from it. (laughs) This Manasseh, when he was 12 years old, became king of Judah. He ruled the longest of the kings, 55 years. And I'll just give you summation here. He was the Hitler of the Old Testament. He was the most vile, wicked, Horrible man in the whole Old Testament. The scripture says of him that he was worse than all the enemies of Judah and Israel. He hated God. He hated everything to do with God. He shook his fist in the face of God. He worshipped everything but God. The heavens, the sun, the moon, the stars, the planets obeyed witches and sorcerers and worshipped rocks and wood and built altars all over Judah. He even took his sons. Now, King says son, one son, 
But when you go to Chronicles and get the rest of the story, it says sons, plural. So he took at least two sons, maybe more, and burned them alive as a sacrifice to a rock named Molech. He went in the temple, cleaned it out of everything, and put vile, pagan, hedonistic idols in there for deviant worship. And that's all I'm going to say about that. To false gods, even the Holy of Holies. And God had told David, And Solomon, build me a house and I'll put my name there forever. I'll dwell there. I'll meet you there. I'll meet you between the cherubims in the Holy of Holies. And God said, it'll be my house. But they desecrated it, emptied it, and made it a worship center for the pagan. And that's going to happen again in the tribulation. That temple in Jerusalem is built. Halfway through the tribulation, they're going to desecrate it again. And the Antichrist is going to offer vile things on the altar and proclaim himself God. It's going to happen again. But oh my goodness, this man was so horrible that he took his two mentors. Remember, he's 12 years old when he became king. His mentors were Micah and Isaiah. And tradition tells us that he had Isaiah put in a hollow log. And he had his men take a wooden saw and saw him in half. Why am I telling you these vile things? Because they were true. And to let you know that this was the worst man of the Old Testament. Now there's a scripture. And I think you have it on the, uh, on the overhead here. The scripture says in verse 16 of 2 Kings 21, this is the last verse, Moreover, Manasseh shed very much innocent blood till he had filled all of Jerusalem from one end to the other, besides the other sin which he had done to make Judah sin, and doing evil in the sight of the Lord. Who did he kill? Not the pagans. The righteous people, devout believers in Yahweh. Innocent blood, knee-deep in the streets of Jerusalem, killed the good people, the godly people of the land. Out of control, totally a dead, horrible. Jeremiah 15, 4 says, and this is God speaking, I will hand Judah over to trouble all the kingdoms of the earth because... Manasseh, son of Hezekiah, king of Judah, for what he did in Jerusalem. Many people believe one of the major causes of the Jews being captured by the Babylonians and taken into Babylon was has, uh, was not has, was uh, Manasseh because of what he did and how vile he was. Many scholars believe that, but you know God does not always strive with the wicked, does He? There came a day when God said, Enough, Manasseh. Your time is up. I'll no longer strive with you. And the scripture says, He tried to tell Manasseh. He tried to tell the people and none of them would listen. But if you'll 
uh, put up there Second Chronicles chapter 33, this whole chapter. Read it on your own time because it's the end of the story. It's like Paul Harvey. It's page two. It's not told in Kings, but it's told in Chronicles, the same story. And to, uh, three verses here, beginning with verse 11. Therefore, the Lord brought upon them, meaning the people of Judah, the captains of the army of the Assyrians, the king of the Assyrians, and they took Manasseh, king of Judah, put hooks in his nose, bronze fetters around his hands and shackles on his feet, put him in an ox cart and took him to Babylon. Let me stop right there. They put him in a dark, dingy, dirty, dank dungeon for 12 years. 12 years. Can you imagine taking the czar from Russia, and putting him in another country for 12 years, or the head of China, and removing them from leadership for 12 years, or the president of the United States in another country captive for 12 years in a dungeon, not seeing the light of day. That's what they did to the king, the wicked king of Judah. The Bible is just full of true stories about what people are and how God can do miracles. The rest of this verse, look at it and look at it closely. Remember, he was there 12 years. And close to the end of the 12 years, now that he was in affliction, I guess he was, he implored the Lord his God. Look at that pronoun his. He's never called him his God before. And that word implore means what? To beg, to plead, to keep begging, to keep pleading, to just continuously. Like the the woman that grabbed hold of the hem of his garment, just didn't let go. He begged his God. He humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. Do you see a change in Manasseh? This is repentance. He's on his face. He's in this dungeon. Probably hadn't had a bath in six years. And he's begging, begging God. And it says he prayed to God and God received his entreaty. God listened to him. God was pleased with his prayer. God heard his supplications. And Manasseh knew that the Lord was God. Do you hear what we're saying here? This was the Hitler of the Old Testament. And now he is a believer in Yahweh. He is saved. He is back on track. (laughs) And how do we know he's a changed man? Because the next verse is here, and I don't have those on the screen for you. But God sent him back to Jerusalem. God gave him all authority, all power, all influence again. And for the rest of his life, Manasseh did acts of repentance before God. He built the big walls around Jerusalem to protect it. He put godly, holy men in leadership to protect and, and, and lead the people. He cleaned out all of the temple. 
had the priest consecrated again. He instituted right worship to the one true and living God. (laughs) He did it all. The man that hated God, God forgave him. God forgave him. Forgave him for his hatred. And if he will forgive the most vile, wicked person in the Old Testament, he'll forgive you, and you, and you, and me. Some people say, I've I've sinned so bad, God doesn't want me. You cannot sin too much. When you repent and you cry out to God, He will save you. He will save you. And this word Manasseh in Hebrew means forgotten. And you say, well, he forgot God for a long time. Well, he did. But more importantly than that, when he repented of his sin, God forgave and forgot Manasseh's sin. How do we know that? Because the New Testament says when God forgives us, he removes our sin, what, as far as the east is from the west and remembers them no more. No more. Now, why didn't he say, I don't remember them from the north to the south? See, nobody cares about that, but I look at stuff like that. Because there is an exact longitude, latitude, a place you can visit and stand on the North Pole, on the South Pole. And if he had said that, that would be what? Limited forgiveness. It'd have a definite stopping place. But he said, no, the east to the west, and that orbits the earth, and it never stops. It's infinity, and God never gets tired of us asking for forgiveness. He delights in us asking for forgiveness. And before we can forgive anybody else, we have to experience forgiveness. I don't think we know how to forgive until we experience forgiveness of God. He loves us. He loves you. He loves me. And I just want to stop and have a prayer. I believe most of you are believers. I don't know if people watching us though on the web are. And it doesn't matter what word you pray. God knows your heart and he fills in the gaps. So let's just stop right now and pray. And, and you pray and think of that person that you love so much that doesn't love Jesus. And you never tire of telling them the love of Jesus either. You keep it up. So let's just pray right now. Father God, we know that we have sinned against you. We repent of our sin. We ask you to forgive our sin. We ask you to change our lives. We believe Jesus is the Son of God. And on that cross, he paid every punishment for every sin we might ever be punished for. And I thank you that you give us new life. That we, you can come into our life, you can be our Lord and Savior, and we can be your disciple forever. Lord, we want to worship and serve you with our lives. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. That's all you have to do is get honest with God. Get honest with Him. Well, let's talk about forgiveness. A lot of things are attached to forgiveness that have nothing to do with forgiveness. And that's what intimidates us all and beats us down. Because we think we have to do this, that, and the other, and it's just hard, and we get tired of it. So we're going to talk about what forgiveness is not, and then we're going to talk about what forgiveness is. You might want to write a couple of these down. First of all, what forgiveness is not. This is not forgiveness. This has nothing to do with forgiveness, okay? Number one, forgiveness, excuse me, forgiveness is not approval. 
You never have to approve of what somebody has done to you. For the scripture says God hates sin, but he doesn't hate the sinner. You are allowed to hate what was done to you. If you were a victim of crime, if you were raped, if you were robbed, if you were whatever, it's all right to hate the thing that happened to you. But the enemy is who leads the one doing it. Don't hate the sinner. Hate the sin. Number two, forgiveness is not excusing what was done to you. You cannot explain it away. There's no answer for for bad things happening to good people. The answer is we all have a free will. And we have a will where we can say, I choose to follow Jesus. And somebody else say, I choose to just uh, get out in the streets and bash every store window in town. It's free will. So let's don't blame it all on God. Especially on this one, a lot of times abused women, they want to excuse their husband or boyfriend or whoever is mistreating them so violently. If only I hadn't screamed at him. If only I hadn't said anything. If only I hadn't been hiding in another room or whatever. They just try to excuse it. Forgiveness is not excusing it. You cannot explain it away. Three, forgiveness is not justifying what was done. Because God never calls evil good. And the only justifier, the only true judge, the only justice there really is, is what comes from God. Because he's the judge, and he merits out justice as he sees fit. Number four, forgiveness is not reconciliation. Now, say amen to that. How many of us have tried to reconcile in situations and it always takes at least two or more to reconcile? And the other person may hate your guts, may never want to see you again or talk to you and can't do anything but insult you. That's life. You cannot force something on somebody else. They are accountable for themselves and we ourselves. And and uh, reconciliation... It's nice that you want to do it. It's worth. It's worthwhile. It's it's a worthy character trait. But forgiveness is not hanging out as friends. It's not having dinner with these people. It's not you know doing things together and calling them on the phone all the time. You don't have to do that. You don't have to do that. That's not forgiveness. If you if you have two families that are not reconciled, that's a you know, that's a Hatfield and the McCoys. That's a feud. If you have a church that's not reconciled, you have a split. If you have two countries that are not reconciled, you're going to have a war. You cannot make things right for other people. But you can make them right for yourself through God. So it's not reconciliation. So don't heap that guilt on you. Forgiveness is not repressing what's happened to you. If you beat it down so deep inside of you, you cannot talk about it, you cannot deal with it, you cannot discuss it, you can't even pray to God about it, then it's going to come out in your life in other ways. It's either going to be a consequence in in your body, something's wrong with your body, or a rash, or something's going on, or your emotions, or your moods, or you can't sleep. It's going to be some kind of manifestation in your body. 
Forgiveness is not pardoning somebody. Now, to pardon somebody means to release an offender from all the consequences of their action. Now, we can't do that. Who does that? Only God can do that. He pardons sin, and he makes you ready for eternity. He is the only one that can pardon sin. So we don't give anybody a get-out-of-jail card free. That's not our responsibility. That's not it. Now, God forgives, and God pardons. But a lot of times, there are consequences to sin. And that's not because God's mad at you. That's because you sinned. You rob a bank, you're going to jail. You embezzle, you're going to jail. You kill somebody, you're going to jail. Or at least I hope you do. That's supposed to be the law. I mean, but that's not God doing anything else but letting sin take its course. Okay? Next, forgiveness is not pretending that it never happens. And some of us have a stiff upper lip and we say, I'm not bothered with this. I can deal with this and this doesn't hurt me and I don't care what somebody says or thinks. But you do. And you need healing yourself from it. And you're not going to get it till you deal with it and face it. And then, forgiveness is not forgetting. Do I need to say that again? All my life I've heard forgive and forget, forgive and forget. It's like you can't say one word without the other. That applies to God. Nowhere in the scripture does it tell you to forget what's done to you. It's God that forgives and forgets your sin. And you don't have to forget. Now, I granted, 60, 70, 80% of what happens to you, eventually you do forget. You forgive and move on and all's well, you know. Time does heal some things. But you know, the good things in your life you don't forget. Do you remember when your husband proposed? You remember when you got married or you had that first baby and you saw that baby or you felt it move, ladies, first time in your body? Are your children graduated or married or your anniversary? The big red letter days of your life, whatever they are. You don't forget those. Well, the antithesis of that is true too. Sometimes things happen to you that are so horrible, no matter how hard you try, you're not going to forget it. You're not going to forget it. Case in point, I'll give you an example. Because I remember every bit of it. I could, it'd take me an hour, I could tell you every thing. Forty-two years ago, we served this church in Chattanooga for 38 years as senior pastors, and now it's been, what, three years that we've not. All right, we had just moved to Chattanooga three months. I was 29, Ron was 30. To pastor this church, we were there three months. One Wednesday night, Ron's at a meeting after church, and my two little girls and I, Ron, Ronnie Jr. wasn't even thought of, uh, my nine-year-old and my six-year-old, we went home to our house, school night, to get everything ready for the next day and get kids ready for bed. Lights were on in my house, which I thought unusual. Drove through the garage to the kitchen door. My older child went to the front yard to pick up the newspaper, my younger child and I. I immediately saw my door had been crowbarred open. Now you think, what would you do in a case like this? You never know what you're going to do. I mean, you just think about it. Well, I grabbed the broom. 
Well, that's all I could see in the garage. Really, I grabbed it by the bottom and had the the handle, the stick, you know. I went in that kitchen screaming and hollering and hitting everything and slamming cabinets and on the counters and the tables and making racket because I knew somebody had at least been in there and may still be in there. And that was the day before cell phones or anything like that. And sure enough, they were in my house. But they evidently thought Ron and other people were with me. They didn't know I was alone with two little girls. I don't know how many were in the house, but I know some went out to the den, out the back door, the deck, and down backyard to the, which is wood, back into the street below probably where the car was. And then some went down the hall and out the foyer and out the front door, tearing the doors off of all three doors on that level. And my little girl saw the shadow of the one running at the out of the front yard. They got a lot that night. Every piece of jewelry, my gun, my Beretta pistol, collection of silver dollars that we had from I don't know how long, different things. And we, my girls and I had to wait in the street for the police and Ron. He said, don't go near the house, don't go in the house, they might still be in there. Or hiding somewhere. But you know, I forgave after a few months. We never got anything back and they didn't find the culprits. But I still remember 41 years later. I still remember that my six-year-old didn't sleep by herself for a year. I still remember. Am I still angry at the people that did it? No. I've forgiven them, but I can't forget it. It happened. Through no fault of my own. So you don't have to forget. Don't beat you up, beat yourself up when you can't forget. And then lastly, quit pretending you're not hurt when people hurt you. You don't have to be the big, strong person. Why? Because the Holy Spirit of God is grieved and wounded and hurt by our sin. And if we hurt the heart of God, guess what? It's okay for us to be hurt. And to be honest with God. God, I'm hurt. I don't, I'm crying. I don't know what to do. I don't know how to fix this. Be honest with God. So we know what forgiveness is not. All of those things. If you notice, I tried to put ING on all of them so you could remember. Approving, excusing, justifying, reconciling, denying, pardoning, forgetting, pretending. So let's look at what forgiveness is. What is it? It's being exactly aware of what somebody has done and choosing to forgive them. I make a rational decision, a choice to say, I forgive you. You have a, you're a free moral agent. God made you with a will to do what you want to do. And when you become a Christian, you say, I have decided to follow Jesus. It's a decision first. And you may not feel one thing. Except, you know, gritting your teeth or clenching your fist. But you're still saying it. And you're still making that choice. I choose forgiveness. And then, forgiveness is refusing to get revenge. Refusing to retaliate. (laughs) To get a piece of your own back, so to speak. Your own respect. To do double to them what they've done to you. No revenge. No revenge. Forgiveness is no revenge. Forgiveness 
is refusing to broadcast what this person has done to you in order to hurt that person's reputation. Now, I broadcast it to my friends. But once I had forgiven, they never heard another word about it. You're not allowed to discuss it. You're not allowed to bring it up because the enemy will use it against you. And then you'll start those old nagging feelings again. So you don't broadcast to hurt the offender's reputation. Oftentimes the measure of a person's character is what you don't say. Just because it's true, you don't have to repeat it. Just because it's true, you don't have to tell all, especially when it hurts another person. That's true. Being merciful. Forgiveness is being merciful. Beatitudes. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. God gives mercy, we give mercy. God gives us grace, we extend grace to others. God forgives us, we forgive others. That's part of the Christian character. What we receive is what we freely give. And that's part of it. And forgiveness is having the faith to trust in God's word and act upon it, even when you don't feel what's going to happen. Faith for all I trust him, for all I take him. God's word says this, I believe it's going to happen, I stand on it, and that's the end of it. Forgiveness is a choice. I choose to release this person from owing me anything. If I handed that person a bill today, it would say balance zero. You owe me nothing. I expect nothing from you. I wish you well. It's forgiveness. That's forgiveness. Then you need to forgive God. And you may not even know you're holding uh, or harboring uh, thoughts of unforgiveness to God. But oftentimes we say, God, why did you let this happen? Why didn't you stop this? I remember saying that after we were robbed all those years ago. I remember praying and, and arguing with God and saying, God, I've been reading stories to my little girls, preschool stories. I've been telling them about... the." Uh, Moses and the stories in the Bible and I've been telling them that the angels are watching over them and that you've got a good plan for their life and you're going to take care of them and now this happens, what am I supposed to do? How, what, how am I going to treat my children? And I didn't really know it at the time but I was really not forgiving God. And God's patient and God loves us and he deals with us through all that. And then lastly, you've got to forgive yourself. That's the last thing on forgiveness. And you might say, well, I didn't do anything wrong. Well, I'm sure you didn't. But when the offense happens, we all do things wrong. (laughs) We get mad. We get angry. We make threats. We say things we don't mean. We say too much. And the list goes on. (laughs) Some of us scream. Some of us cuss. No, I didn't cuss. But you get the picture. We don't always react as God would have us. And we've got to forgive ourselves for the anger we have felt or for what we said about the offender to others, which we shouldn't have done. Even the soldiers who crucified Jesus were forgiven. Jesus said, Father, forgive them. They know not what they do. 
and people have not hurt you that much. The next thing I'm going to say is so important, so hear me. When we forgive somebody, it never makes them right. It makes us free. That's what forgiveness is. It makes us free. The offender may not even know you're hurt. They may not know they hurt your feelings. They don't care. They may never want to see you again. And you don't exist as far as they're concerned. So quit worrying about them. Worry about yourself. When you're living in unforgiveness, it's like ropes attached to your shoulder and you're walking around with pulling a concrete block behind you everywhere you go, every day. It's exhausting. It's fatigue. You get weary. You're tired. Unforgiveness will make you have all of those. People, all you got to do is, is take the scissors and cut the ropes and keep walking. Walk out of that hurt. There is life for you out of that offense. I don't care how bad it was that happened to you. And I will tell you, forgiving someone is the most self-loving thing you can do for you. The most self-loving thing you can do is forgive. You're going to be healthier. You're going to be content. You're going to have less stress in your body. You're going to sleep better. You're going to have more resilient marriages and better friendships. Maybe even less cancer. Less stress. You're going to be at peace. You're going to have calm in your life. Remove all of this. Because unforgiveness can eat away at you. At your stability. You all know Nelson Mandela, who he was. He was in an African prison for 27 years. Best years of his life. The most productive years of his life as a young adult. But when he was released from that prison in his 50s, he said this, and I quote, I knew that day that if I didn't leave my bitterness and all my hatred behind, I would still be in that prison forever. And we're not talking about four walls and a fence. We're talking about the prison in here. That's what he was talking about. Forgive for your own well-being. When I went through this, this difficult time, Holy Spirit showed me three things. I said, Lord, I don't know how to forgive. Tell me what to do to know that I've forgiven. And the first thing I've already told you, it's a mental choice, a decision. Say it. Mean it. I choose forgiveness today. I forgive that person for this offense. Say it out loud because you want the enemy to hear it. And silence the voice of the enemy. You may have to say it ten times a day or more. Every time that memory comes out, you say it out loud because you're hearing yourself say it. That's important. And every day and every week you will say it. Maybe not so many times. Next month, you may have to say it a few times. But eventually, it'll subside. And your body and your mind and your spirit will absorb the fact that you chose forgiveness. Okay? Number two, prayer. Simple, isn't it? And when God told me that, I said, oh, that's easy. I can do that. I love to pray. I love to pray for people. I pray for strangers. I pray for people on text messages or phone calls or or in the altar. The Holy Spirit said, you're not listening. 
He said, I want you to pray for the offender every time you pray for yourself. It's not all. And he said, everything you pray for yourself, I want you to pray for the offender. Now that's hard. Because you pray everything for yourself, don't you? Oh my goodness. I need to get up at 8 o'clock. Lord, help me to wake up. You know, you pray everything. Your health and your, your, everything you do. Wisdom, guidance, prosperity. Help me pay the bills. Help me find a bargain. Help me find a parking place. I mean, we pray everything for ourselves every day. And if I didn't, the Holy Spirit would prompt me every time. You forgot to pray. So I had to pray everything for a period of time. And you know what happened? Didn't happen overnight. Didn't happen over months. But the more I prayed for the offender, the hate I felt started going down. And the compassion for this person started going up. And eventually, the hate you felt for the offender turns to compassion. And you're well on your way. The third step, bless that person. You bless them by praying for them. You bless them by giving kind words, showing kindnesses, actions, thoughts. Because, you know, we sin by our thoughts, too. So we have to have good thoughts for that person. You know, when you're in, in for unforgiveness, you, you're afraid to go to Walmart, afraid you'll run into that person. You're afraid you'll run into them at the restaurant or maybe even church, and you want to go out the side door so you don't have to face them. But when you start to bless them, you're no longer afraid to run into them. You're able to, to run into that person and say, how are you doing? How's your family? Shake their hand. Wish them well. A kind word or two. I heard you just recently retired, or I heard you bought a new house, or I heard you had a baby or a grandbaby. Some kindness, thoughtful, something to bless that person. So it's a decision, it's prayer, and it's blessing. But before I leave that, you learned a little verse when you were a child. It said, be ye kind, what? One to another, what? Tender-hearted, forgiving one another as God, for Christ's sake, has forgiven you. It's all boiled down to that. But before I leave forgiveness, I have to say this. Not anything goes with forgiveness. You have to have boundaries. If you have been a, a victim of a violent crime, protect yourself. You have to stay away from that person. In certain situations, certain situations, you have to confront what was wrong. You do it by going to the police, the law, a lawyer, whatever the situation, however bad it was. And forgiveness doesn't mean that there won't be consequences. You may have to dial 911 in a criminal situation, swear out a warrant for somebody's arrest, a peace bond, an order of protection, testify in court against someone. The law is there for your protection. And you need to follow through to protect yourself from being a victim again or for somebody else having to go through what you went through. I can't talk about forgiveness without saying that to you. So it all boils down to this, true forgiveness. I have made the commitment not to hold people accountable for what they've done to me 
because God does not hold me accountable for what I've done against Him. That's what the Bible says. And if you want to live in victory, and you want to live according to God's Word, that's how to do it. That's how. Now, I'm not saying God will deal with you in the same way He has me, but it's pretty close to it, I think. Matthew 18, 33-35. I think we have this up on the screen. Jesus had told the disciples, forgive 70 times 7, 490 times. 490 means nothing. It just means infinitely. So many times you don't you can't count it. Because God said he never tires of us asking for forgiveness of him. So what does that mean for us? We should be the same. Forgive any time it's asked. That's what it's saying. But the disciples didn't understand that. So Jesus had to give a parable to explain it. And he said a king came to this country to settle all of his accounts. And one servant owed him 10,000 talents of gold. Well, that I don't know what century he's talking about, but it's more money than you could earn in a lifetime of working. It could be anywhere close to even a million dollars, you know, depending on what century. But with his begging and his pleading and his prostrate before the king, the king forgave him his debt and said, go have a good life. But this forgiven servant didn't do that. He went and found a buddy, another servant, that owed him a hundred denarii, which might at at the most be a month's salary, probably not that much. Took him by the throat, shook him, threw him on the ground and said, give me my money. I want my money. And the man couldn't pay, but he begged for time. But the forgiven servant said, no way, bud, you're going to jail. And he threw the whole family in jail till they could pay the money. And then the king heard about it. And he went to the forgiven servant and he said, Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant just as I had pity on you? And the master was angry and delivered the forgiven servant to the torturers. Maybe that's dead or prison until he could pay all that was owed to him, which we know was a life sentence because he couldn't pay back all that gold. And Jesus then turns to his disciples as if to say, listen up. Here's what I want you to know from this parable. And he says, so my heavenly Father also will do to each of you if you do not from your heart forgive your brother his trespasses. Now that's that's a pretty hefty ultimatum, isn't it? It really is. It's an ultimatum. Even in the Lord's Prayer, if you forgive others their trespasses, you'll be forgiven yours. If you do not forgive others their trespasses, you won't be forgiven yours. Do you remember the story I told you at the beginning of the message? About Carl Roberts IV going into that one-room schoolhouse and killing all those little girls, helpless? Well, this is the end of the story. That Amish community was horror-stricken. And every family was grieving. Carl Roberts' mother was so ashamed of what her son had done that she was packed and ready to leave that community as soon as the funeral took place. For she knew that she would be shunned by the community, refused to let her buy and sell in the community, hated, ostracized, 
and she couldn't handle that. But that's not what happened. Over 30 families attended Carl Roberts IV's funeral at community. They started a charitable fund for the mother of the murderer. They reached out to Carl's grieving mother, and from that day on, Carl's mother, her role in life was to go to one home where one of the victims had been totally paralyzed, handicapped, and had no speech. She became a caregiver for one of the victims every day of her life. The community rallied. Not only that, they rallied. They tore down that old one-room schoolhouse that was full of blood and bullets. And in its place, they put a new school. It was called the New Hope School. You overcome evil with good. Is there nothing so big that you can't forgive? When you forgive somebody, you can love like you've never been hurt. You can walk with Jesus in the cool of the day. You can feel his strength. You know he's with you. You're at peace. Your joy is not hindered. And you can just rest in the Lord. And there is a huge difference. And I I, I don't know if you have a clear conscience and you've forgiven everybody that's ever offended you. Maybe you haven't. I don't need to need, no, I don't need to know your story. You don't know mine. You just know we've been through stuff. All you have to do is those three steps. It's a process. I'm not saying you can pray and it's done tonight. You're going to have to be diligent. How many of you have had unforgiveness in the last ten years? Honestly, sure, you have. Well, I want you to think about that for a few minutes, and we're going to pray. I'll ask the musicians to come. I want you to pray for that person. I want you to start by saying, I choose to forgive. I choose to forgive. And you can do it. I want you to stand to your feet right now, and we're going to pray. If you feel the need to come down, we can pray over you. We don't need to tell our stories. Remember, we're not going to broadcast our stories to hurt anybody. But we're going to ask Jesus to begin to move in your life to heal you from the inside out. Okay? So let's just raise our hand to God as we get ready to sing. Father, we choose forgiveness tonight. These people are naming in their hearts the person that has offended them, the person they've avoided, the person that they think hates them and mistreats them. And has has said and done terrible things. But right now, tonight, we choose forgiveness. In our mind, we make a mental choice. I choose forgiveness. For my own well-being. For a clear conscience. To be obedient to your word. To do what Jesus would do. And to follow with his commandments. We choose forgiveness. And Father, we ask you to... Be with the person who offended us. We don't want any harm to come to them. We ask you to minister in their lives. And if they're unbelievers, that you would save them. 
and minister to them. But Lord, I ask you tonight to begin a healing in everybody's life. Begin an emotional healing, a mental healing, a healing in their body, a healing in their soul, a spiritual healing, Lord. That this sore, this this festering sore, you'll remove it. And that there'll be nothing that will separate each of us from the love of God. I pray for a clear conscience for everyone here. I pray for joy to return. I pray that they can see their offender as God sees them and be delivered. I pray it in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. You're welcome. If you feel comfortable coming down ministry, come on down. If you don't, because of the COVID thing, that's totally up to you. But if you need to come down, come on.